Well, it's great to be here with you this morning. It's kind of like a homecoming of sorts for me because I was actually ordained in the Evangelical Free Church and I'm still ordained in the Free Church. And the first two churches that I served, uh, both of them in Southern California, were Evangelical Free Churches. So uh, even though I'm serving at Bethel right now, uh, there's a part of me that's a Free Church person in my heart. And I keep praying for my BGC brethren, you know, that they'll see the light. But, uh, you know, I just have you just have to kind of, you know, the tares and the wheats kind of thing. You just you just go with it. But anyways, it is great to be here, and I'm, I'm really thankful for the opportunity to serve with you here uh, over the next several months as you uh, search for a new senior pastor. Now, I'm sure, as is true for most of us here, uh, during the course of my life, I've received some exciting times of good news, where good news came into my life that was just, you know, very, very exciting. For example, I remember very vividly the time when I was in fourth grade when I got the exceedingly good news that I had won first chair in the clarinet section of my school band at Jefferson Elementary. I still remember how excited I was as I ran all the way home to tell my mom and dad I won first chair after a week of diligently practicing. I won. Another exciting time when I received some good news was in the spring of 1977 when I got a letter from Western Washington University and I nervously with sweaty hands opened up that letter and read the words I'd been longing to read. We would like to congratulate you. You've been accepted into the Western Washington University class of 1980. And I was on my way to Western Washington University. Very exciting. I remember calling my grandma and saying, Grandma, I got in. It's hard to believe I could get into any college, but they took me. Then there was the Saturday afternoon in August 1981. When I heard the most almost unbelievable words, I now pronounce you husband and wife. Wow, that was exciting. After eight months of engagement, I was just ecstatic. Finally, we were married, and I've been celebrating ever since, almost every day. Um, it's been great, 25 years with Sue. And then, of course, there's another one of those times on March 16th, 1983, when Sue went into labor seven weeks early, and we rushed to the hospital full of fear, wondering if our baby would be healthy. And I'll never forget those words at 5.30 in the evening when the doctor said, it's a baby girl and she's perfectly healthy. Ah, that was such good news to receive. You know, isn't it true that there's really nothing quite like a timely dose of good news? And I'm sure you've all experienced that kind of excitement, whether it's relief or joy, when that good news finally comes. Well, this morning, as we begin our journey together here at uh, Wyzetta Evangelical Free Church, I thought it would be appropriate for us to begin exploring together uh, the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians, because it is a book that is absolutely chock full of incredibly good news. In fact, it's good news that should not only transform and change our individual lives and the way we live our lives, but it is good news that if we receive it and accept it and absorb it, it should literally transform the way we live together in community as the body of Jesus Christ, as the church of Jesus Christ. 
But before we just dive right into this first section of past uh, past, uh, verses, I wanted to give just a brief introduction uh, to Paul's letter here. First of all, obviously, it was written by Paul, and most scholars say it was written sometime around 60 to 61 A.D. That's significant because it was just 27 years after the resurrection of Christ. It was probably, like many of Paul's letters, written from a prison cell, most likely in Rome, where Paul was imprisoned on occasion and where he wrote several of his letters from. It was a letter that was kind of spawned by some bad news that Paul received from a co-worker of his by the name of Epaphras. Epaphras had told him that there was some very dangerous heresy and stuff, teaching that was beginning to circulate through the churches in the region of Ephesus that Paul had started just several years before. And when Paul heard that as a caring spiritual parent, he immediately began to write a letter to the churches of the region, sending it to the largest gathering of believers in the city of Ephesus and then giving instructions that they copy it down and then circulate it to all of the churches in the region. And rather than just combating the heresy, rather than just giving an apologetic against it and saying why the heresy was wrong, Paul doesn't really even address the heresy, probably a form of Gnosticism. But what Paul does is he exercises that principle that the best defense is a good offense. And so he writes this letter and communicates to these fairly new believers, followers of Christ, the incredibly good news that is true about them as the body of Christ, as Christ followers. Rather than worrying about defending against all of the heresy, he just feels like if you really understand who you are and what God has done for you in Christ, and if you will absorb that into your soul, you're not going to be victimized by this heresy and this false teaching. And so with that as a very brief introduction, I want us to take a look at verses 1 through 14 here of chapter 1 of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And I want you to just follow along. It'll be up on the screen there if you want to follow there or in your Bible or there's Bibles in the pews. But listen to what Paul says to these Ephesian Christians, the church at Ephesus. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. To God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to his plan 
who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be the first for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, those are 14 verses that are absolutely chock full of incredibly good news for you and me as followers of Jesus Christ. In fact, there are probably about 20 sermons in these 14 verses, and I'm not going to preach all 20 this morning, just about 15 of them. But this is an exciting passage if you really let the Holy Spirit grab you with the truth that Paul shares here. And in these verses, I want us to notice this morning just four pieces of good news that Paul shares about us as members of the body of Christ, as members of the church of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to understand when I use the word church throughout this series of messages in the book of Ephesians, I'm not using it in the vernacular way we normally talk about church. I mean, I think we've done an incredible disservice to this biblical word church, which in the Greek language is ekklesia, which means those called out from. It's about people. It's not about buildings or places. You see, we've gotten very comfortable saying, let's go to church on Sunday. Well, the reality is, biblically, it is impossible to go to church. And the reason for that is because we are the church. You can't go to yourself. You see, the reality is, Christians, as the church, we go to worship. We go to meet with one another. But we can't go to church. And I stress that because I think in our minds and our understanding, particularly those of us who've grown up in the church, we start to associate very subtly the church with a building or with a place or with an organization of some sort where you get a membership card and that kind of thing. But the reality is, biblically, as Paul talks about the church here and when he talks about the church in Ephesus, He's talking about the ecclesia in Ephesus, the people who've been called out of paganism and out of sin and even out of Judaism and who now were gathered together as a group of believers. They were the church, just as we are the church. And if we met in the parking lot or if we met at a restaurant or a hotel or if we met in a vacant field, we would still be just as much the church of Jesus Christ. And so I want us to understand that as I use that phrase church. Now, the first piece of good news that Paul shares about us as members of the church is that we have been chosen by God. We have been chosen by God. Look at what Paul says here again in verses three through six. He says, praise to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Not just some spiritual blessings, not just most spiritual blessings. With every spiritual blessing in Christ, for he chose us in him 
before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love, he predestined us for the adoption of sonship in Christ Jesus. Now, the word chosen or when Paul says he chose us in Christ, it's a it's a word that indicates a very careful, thoughtful, loving kind of choice. It's the idea of selecting some out of many. And Paul says, amazingly, that God has chosen us before the foundations of the world to be members of this ecclesia, this church of Jesus Christ on earth, the body of Christ. Now, if you're here this morning and you have trusted Jesus Christ as the only sufficient sacrifice for the for the forgiveness of your sins and you believe in him, then you are a member of the body of Jesus Christ. That means that you were chosen by God carefully and thoughtfully before creation. Now, is that mind blowing or what? To think that we're not here by accident because we wandered in off the street. We're not here just because a friend invited us, though that might have been the human vehicle that got us here. But we are here and members of the universal church of Jesus Christ because we were chosen before creation by God himself to be sitting here as members of this local ecclesia. In Plymouth. Now, I've got to be absolutely honest with you here on this point. I do not have a clue as to why or how God exercised this choice. I just don't know. I, in fact, I think if anyone's if everyone's honest with you, I don't think anyone, any scholar knows exactly how God exercised this choice. I mean, did we by a you know, exercise of our will, choose to accept Christ? Absolutely. We freely chose, in a sense, to accept Jesus Christ. At the same time, were we chosen by God to accept Christ? The Bible says, yes, we were chosen before the creation of the world. Do I know how to explain that apparently paradoxical situation? Absolutely not. But all we need to know is that if we are members of the uh, of the body of Christ, the church, we were chosen carefully and thoughtfully by God. And Paul says that we were chosen to be members of this church for three specific reasons. The first reason he says there in, in verse uh, four is to be blameless. He chose us to be blameless in his sight. That word means to be without blemish or defect of any kind. When God looks down upon you this morning, regardless of the sins you committed last week or yesterday, if you have trusted in Christ, God sees you clothed in the very righteousness of Jesus Christ this morning. He doesn't see all of your sin. He's cast that away as far as the east is from the west. And this morning, God sees us as members of his church, blameless, without blemish. He's got to. We can't have a relationship with him unless we're blameless in his sight. Secondly, he's called us to be holy. 
The word holy in this context literally means to be consecrated and set apart for a special purpose. And the special purpose is for God's pleasure, for his service, for his praise. We are God's special treasure. We've been chosen to be blameless, chosen to be holy, and we've been chosen to become a part of his family. Adopted in to sonship. The reason that Paul uses the phrase sonship is because in that culture and context, uh, that sonship indicated the, the one of inheritance in the family. And so whether you're male or female, you have been adopted in as God's child and given the right of inheritance of all of those blessings, that legacy of God because of Jesus Christ. Now, that is amazing good news. You see, that changes the complexion of the church. We're not just here because we signed up or took a membership class. It's not because we just accepted an invitation. We are here by God's choice, members of the universal body. And wherever we go and whatever church we're a part of, we're members of that church because God chose us. And that is exciting. You know, I think we live in a culture. And I don't think it would surprise anyone to say when I say that we live in a culture uh, that really uh, is a very status status conscious culture. Have you noticed that there's all kinds of lists out there where people are chosen kind of for special merit and for special kind of awards and honors? For example, People magazines, 50 most beautiful people in the world. Every year they do that. Now, how in the world you know, do they figure out the 50 most beautiful people in the world? Obviously, I don't think any of us were on the list, so it's got to be a flawed process. But there's the 50 most beautiful people in the world, and everyone looks, you know, oh, who's, who's one of the 50 most beautiful? Then you got Forbes magazine annual list of the 100 richest people in America. And everyone wants to know who's the richest. Oh, they must be so special. Then you got parent magazines, 25 Greatest working moms. Now, that is a huge joke, isn't it? How are you going to pick the 25 greatest working moms? Every mom's a working mom, you know? And then you've got others like Sports Illustrated, greatest high school athletes every year, and you end up on that list. And I think sometimes we can kind of walk around with some kind of kind of complex or uh, really struggle with our self-worth because we're not on anybody's special list. You know, we're not going to make people's list or Gucci's list or anybody else's list unless it's a list for nobody that's on a list, you know. But see, the good news is we might not be chosen by people or by Gucci or by Sports Illustrated, but we've been chosen by the eternal God creator of the universe to be a member of his physical manifestation on earth called the church. And that is absolutely good news. But there's a second piece of good news, and that's that we've been redeemed by Christ. Not only have we been chosen by God to be holy, blameless children of his, but we've also been redeemed by Christ. Look again what Paul says in verses 7 and 8. He says, in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. That's amazing to me. We have been redeemed by Jesus Christ. That word redeemed means literally to buy something back, to pay the price 
for its release. Some years ago, I had a, a nice little sports car that was parked out in front of the church in Southern California, and someone actually came into my office, took the keys out of the drawer in my desk, and stole my car on a Wednesday night. It was one of those kind of surreal moments when you think the elders played a joke on you or something, and it's back in the alley or something, and then I realized it's stolen. I mean, I felt so violated. I thought it was gone forever. Two weeks later, the police called and said, we've recovered your car. Come and get it. Oh, I'm so excited. I rushed down to the police holding yard. I saw my little baby there in the corner with all kinds of black smudge on it where they dusted for fingerprints. And man, I wanted to just get in and drive her home, you know, get her all cleaned up. And they said, you can take her as soon as you pay the $200 for the towing and the holding yard. Huh? I mean, this is my car. It was stolen. And now you're going to kick me when I'm down. I got to write you a check for 200 bucks. It was my car. But I had to redeem it. I had to pay the price to get it back because it had been stolen by someone else and it was no longer in my possession. And so I had to redeem it. Well, you see, in exactly the same way, Paul says that God had to redeem us, though he created us, though we were his creatures, we had been stolen and co-opted by sin. And so God had to buy us back. He had to pay the price to liberate us and to free us once again. And Paul says that the price he paid was the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. We have been bought with the price of the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And as a result of being redeemed by Christ, we have been bought back from sin. We're no longer under its control or ownership. We've been redeemed. And the result of our redemption, Paul says, is that we're forgiven. We've been redeemed, and as a result, we are forgiven by God. That means that he has released us from the guilt and the bondage of our sin so that we can live freely as members of this church, the church of Jesus Christ. You know, unfortunately, based on my counseling and my conversations with a lot of Christians over a lot of years, almost 20 years now, I have sadly learned that there are many Christians today who are laboring under an unbelievable load of guilt and shame because they have not accepted and received this incredibly good news that we've been redeemed by Christ. Every single sin we've ever committed or will commit past, present, or future has been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ, and we are holy and blameless in Him this morning, which enables us to live an entirely new kind of life as the church of Jesus Christ. He didn't just forgive some of our sins. And listen, some people say, what do you mean he forgave all my future sins? I haven't even committed them yet. Well, listen, when Christ died for your sins, all of your sins were in the future. All of them. And when you accepted Christ, everything was taken care of. 
His blood covered it all. And in its place, God covered you with the righteousness of Christ. So you could be in eternal relationship with God the Father and a member of his family. We don't have to walk in that shame and that guilt anymore. And I'll tell you, when we live in that shame and that guilt, it is a constant downward spiral. Because if you feel guilty and if you feel like you're a loser, you're going to act like you're guilty and that you're a loser. And you get in this constant cycle of sin. But when you receive and accept that good news that you are holy, blameless, redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ and totally forgiven of everything, that's the good news. You know, I'm convinced some of us as Christians, we don't want to share our faith with our friends because we don't want them to be as miserable and burdened as we are. Oh, gee, I don't want them to have to live with all this guilt and this never being able to measure up. Listen, you don't have to measure up. Christ already measured up in your place. And you've been clothed with all of his success and his sinlessness. Now, that's not a license to go out and sin. But we need to understand that incredible truth. Because it will change the way we live as the church of Jesus Christ. You know, back in 1863, New Year's, actually, 1863, Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, freeing all of the slaves, saying you are legally free. The only problem was slave owners didn't bother to tell their slaves that they were free. And because most of them had never learned to read, most of the slaves in the nation never knew that they'd been set free, that they were legally free. Sadly, even after a civil war, even after the assassination of Abraham Lincoln because of this whole uh, releasing the slaves, even after an amendment to the Constitution of the United States declaring absolute legal freedom for slaves, the vast majority of them for many years still lived in slavery, never just walked off the plantation because they didn't know they were free, that they'd been redeemed. And I think sometimes as Christians, we end up living the same way because the accuser of the brethren who accuses us night and day, night and day lying to us has convinced us that we're not free. And so we live with that constant burden. But we have got to receive that news that we are redeemed by Christ. Thirdly, we've been predestined to praise God. One of the the pieces of good news that we need to understand is that as the church, we've been predestined to praise God. Look at verses 11 and 12. It says, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. When you see in verse 12 there, that little statement, in order that, that is a purpose phrase. We were predestined in order that or for the primary purpose that we might praise God, that we might reflect his glory to the world and bring him great praise. See, one of the primary purposes of the church of Jesus Christ is to praise the glorious nature of God in this world. We are to reflect his glory to the world so that the world sees and ends up, in a sense, glorifying God. And the primary way we do that is by living together in community like the redeemed, 
forgiven, holy and blameless children of God that we now are. And when the world sees a community like that in this culture, living together, forgiven, free, loving one another, forgiving one another, bearing with one another, the world says, wow, God must be an amazing God. That's exactly what happened in the New Testament. When they saw the believers in Acts 2.42 living together, sharing their possessions, what does it say? And it says, and God was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. Because they were just living like the church, reflecting the glory of God. And as a result of living that way, God was praised and people were added to the church. You know, I think sometimes we forget what our primary purpose is. Sometimes I think as the church, we think that our primary purpose is to build a big congregation or to market the church or even to meet the needs of people. The reality is those are very important, some of them. But that is not our primary purpose. Our primary purpose is to praise the glorious nature and character of God by living as a redeemed community and by doing that, people's needs will ultimately be met. And all of these other things will begin happening. And sometimes churches struggle because we get the cart before the horse. We're living in sin. We're bickering with one another. We're arguing about worship. We're complaining about everything. And then we have an outreach program. And wonder why no one wants to come. We just need to start living like the church. We just need to start being the redeemed, forgiven people that God has called us to be. To actually be the church and stop going to church. And God will do the rest. God longs to bring pre people into our fellowship, to, to enlarge the ecclesia. But I'm just going to be honest with you. Sometimes me, sometimes us, are the biggest barrier to what God wants to do in the world. Just like the children of Israel sometimes ended up being a barrier to what God wanted to do. We just need to start being the church. But finally... There's a fourth piece of good news, and that is we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of all this good news. We've just talked about this morning. God left a deposit. God guarantees it all by sealing us with his spirit. Look what he says here in verses 13 and 14. He says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed you were, past tense, marked in him with a seal. And the seal was the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. See, God's redemptive process for us is in process in a sense. We are redeemed now, but we will ultimately be redeemed in the future when God when Christ returns and we are taken up into paradise and our redemption will be complete. But until that time, as the redemptive process continues and God enables us to persevere to the end, the guarantee that he will complete the good work he's begun in us, Philippians 1, 6. He's given us the Holy Spirit to encourage us, to keep us going, to convict us of sin, to keep us in fellowship with God. He's placed his deposit, his seal. We're not just sealed 
by the Holy Spirit. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. He indwells us. And that's why we come together and are the church of the living God, the manifestation of Christ's body on earth. That is incredibly good news. You know, last summer we made an offer on the home that we're now living in and there were actually three offers the same day. It went on the market on Friday afternoon at 5. By Saturday morning at 9 o'clock, there were three offers on the house. Two of those offers were for more than the asking price. And as soon as we made the offer, what did the owner of the house want? Earnest money. Write a check. Prove it that you want to buy this house. We need to see that you're serious about this and you're not going to just walk away from the offer and that we turn these other offers down and then you change your mind. So we had to write a check, an earnest money check, a deposit to authenticate our desire to buy that home. It was our guarantee that we wouldn't walk away from the purchasing process. Well, in the same way, God has given us his deposit guaranteeing I will not walk away from you. I will not walk away from this process that I've begun. This building of the church of Jesus Christ and redeeming you ultimately and eternally and to prove it, to guarantee it, I'm giving you the spirit of God as your guarantee. You know, it's an amazing thing to be part of the body of Jesus Christ. Because if you are a member of the body of Christ, it means that you've been chosen by God before creation. That you have been redeemed by Christ. You're forgiven. It means that you have been predestined to bring God praise, all of us as the body of Christ, to reflect his glory to the world. And it means that we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit as the promise and guarantee of all of that. You know, let me just suggest two quick action steps this morning that maybe you could engage in this week to drive some of this truth a little deeper uh, this week. And the first one would be to take some time to reread these verses we went over. And every place that you see the words we and us, replace those with your name. So, for example, praise to praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed Sam in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, for he chose Sam in him. I'll tell you, the passage just comes alive in a different way. Just read it that way every day of the week, this coming week, and allow God to drive that amazing truth home in your life. And then secondly, maybe you're here, maybe you're one of those Christians that has struggled with guilt and and not feeling totally forgiven, not feeling like you really measure up. You need to receive the reality of the truth that God has redeemed you and the price he paid for your eternal soul and your forgiveness is the blood of his own son, Jesus Christ. And every sin that you've committed has been washed, has been separated as far as the east is from the west. And you'll see on the the screen here some verses that you might jot down and I would encourage you to read those this week that just again from other places in scripture remind you of these truths that we've talked about this morning. Well, I'm excited about the journey that we're going to be on through the book of Ephesians and I, I encourage you to come because there is so much more good news in this book about what it means to be the church of God. Let's pray together this morning. Father, again, we want to thank you so much 
for what you have done to make us the church. Those called out to be the body of Christ on earth and to reflect your glory to the earth. Father, I pray that you would enable us to grasp these truths, not just cognitively, but experientially, and that we might truly here at Wyzetta Evangelical Free Church be a church that reflects your glory as we live in community as redeemed, holy and blameless children of yours. In Christ's matchless name, we ask these things. Amen.